Welcome to the Experts Only podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital, where we explore the intersection of energy, innovation and finance. Our host is Clean Capital's co-founder and former Federal Chief Sustainability Officer, John Powers. Learn how Clean Capital is revolutionising clean energy finance and find more episodes at cleancapital.com, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Welcome to Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast. My name is John Powers. Really looking forward to our conversation today with Brooke Porter, a partner at G2 Venture Partners. I knew Brooke when he was at Kleiner Perkins and his really had a unique seat in Silicon Valley watching the clean energy market develop and change over time. Today we'll be exploring, I think, some of the themes that throughout Brooke's life, who's, he's gone from being an entrepreneur to an investor, looking at the impact of invention to the market and how some of the market and technology curves are really beginning to come together in a very unique way to help transform the market. And the conversation will explore some of the market issues, but also what investors are looking for in that space. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us here at Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast. Looking forward to our conversation today. Great. Thanks, John. It's nice to be here. You know, I want to start off talking a little bit about your personal journey in this space, and then we'll get into some of the really innovative stuff you've been, been working on and actually have worked on in the past. But you've got quite a journey, both as an entrepreneur and then later on as an investor working across the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. So tell us about your personal story. How did you end up working in this space, working for some of Silicon Valley's most iconic funds like Kleiner Perkins before launching your new fund? Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll start from kind of the, the early days. Uh, I graduated from UC Berkeley as a chemical engineer in the late 90s during the dot-com boom. You know, I always loved IT, but for me, it lacked mission. Unfortunately, I wasn't insightful enough to see the transformative power of democratizing information. And instead, I was drawn to energy and environmental impact, which I think came from my upbringing. I got, had a couple of large influences in my life from my, my grandfather on my mother's side and from my dad. But at the time, no one in Silicon Valley was really interested in energy. So I had to, had to look elsewhere. And I got inspired by electrification of transportation sort of early on, actually in high school. I wrote a paper in, I think it was probably 1993 or so, about using nickel metal hydride batteries in the GM impact, which wow. was using lead acid batteries at the time. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty neat. It was sort of a, you know, a high school, a college English course. And I chose to write it on a technical subject. And what I found really interesting is a couple of years later, that car became the EV1, and which was the iconic vehicle that was referred to in the movie Who Killed the Electric Car. And so right. and that was sort of inspiring. I was like, hey, I actually talked about that. And Maybe they read my paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely didn't write, read my paper. But it at least gave me a, you know, a little bit of, a, I think, inspiration as the transportation sector. And so that helped me, I think, look for opportunities at UC Berkeley. And, you know, I went into fuel cells initially after graduating because I thought they had the potential to address, you know, the key technical challenges in EVs, which are range and refueling time better than batteries. And there just wasn't much on the horizon with batteries that suggested they would get there. So I started a company right out of school or I worked at a company actually for a couple of years and then started a company in Southern California that was acquired by a UK firm that became a company called Intelligent Energy. And we did a lot of really cool work, a lot of great technology development, mainly for the automotive sector. That was our, our largest market that we were selling technology into. 
And probably the best product we worked on was actually an electric bike. And I was fortunate to get my first patent working on that project. It was called the Envy, stood wow. for emissions neutral vehicle. And you know, the idea at the time was to revolutionize urban transportation, first in the developed world and then ultimately in the developing world, which is something I'm still working on today. But yeah, at the time, the technology had, I think, a critical flaw. Fuel cells had a critical flaw, which was the need for new infrastructure to distribute hydrogen. And so we thought we had a strategy that addressed that flaw, but it, it turned out to be too complex and too capital intensive. And so I realized the timeline for commercialization of fuel cells was going to be quite long, and I, I didn't have even a lot of faith. That, that what it, is the timeline? Like, what window is this for you? Like in the so this early was 2000s? Two, 2000 and. Two was when we started the company, and 2006 yeah. was the time that I ultimately left after you know, doing some cool work. But it just felt like, ironically, like some of the clean tech companies that I worked on nearly a decade later that were great technologies, but they were just always needing another round, and it was always just a couple years out. And I just didn't, I didn't like the nature of that type of a business, and I wanted to, to get to something that had a more near-term application. And that's what led me to start a company working on low carbon liquid fuels, we called Prima Fuel. And, you know, we initially thought we could solve the diesel emissions issue in the port of Los Angeles and make a big impact while building a valuable company. And, you know, we built some great technologies that ended up being adopted by a majority of the biofuels industry. But we learned some hard lessons on you know, the oil industry and the stronghold they have on the sector across the value chain. And it was difficult to extract value as a startup. So I give that background as a little bit of context for why Kleiner Perkins was interested in me. At the time, this is the late 2000s, approaching 2010, they had ramped up their investing in clean tech and wanted to add someone with technical and operational expertise to their venture team. And I had right. a pretty unique background as a chemical engineer with 10 years of operating experience across two startups. So it was a, it was a pretty natural fit. That's basically how I came to Kleiner Perkins. So I want to come back to the electrification of transportation piece and talk a little more about that. But from like personally, when you made that transition, right, from being on the operational side, you know, running a company, getting into the, the real nuts and bolts, what lessons did you learn from that have helped you on in the investor side? You know, I imagine there's probably a lot of investors. Actually, I know this because we've been engaging a lot of investors who've actually never made that leap, right? That don't come from the operational side. So it obviously gives you some really valuable insight. You know, what are some of those experiences and how do they help you as an investor? It's always interesting to look back. I think there's just so much that I've learned over the past seven years as an investor. At Kleiner Perkins, it's hard to summarize those lessons learned for operations. It's probably more valuable than any MBA or PhD I could have received. Right. And so, you know, looking back on the operational stuff that we did, you know, there's so much that we did wrong. And I wish I had the lessons learned now. But you know some of the things – so I'll talk about some of the operational lessons learned and then I'll talk about some of the lessons learned on the investment side. But on the operational side, I never really thought about prioritizing risk removal. That was a concept that I, I just hadn't really been exposed to. And, and so figuring out what are the biggest risks in your startup and prioritizing those and spending your most valuable dollars, which are the first ones that you get, to try to remove those risks is just such a powerful and straightforward concept. But it's hard to do as an entrepreneur because you're faced with all these risks at the same time. You've know, got right. all these challenges and you, you try to solve them all kind of simultaneously and it's very easy to fail when you do that. And so for me and, and the companies that I was operating in, you know, we had a lot of technology risk. So we thought about that risk. We thought about manufacturing and getting to scale and costs, but we didn't think about commercialization risk. We didn't think about 
the market side nearly as much. In, in the end, both in fuel cells and in biofuels, I mean, that was the real critical failure, was not understanding how you go to market, how you interact with incumbents, how you protect you know, value that you can extract over time, understanding the regulatory risks. Those are all things that I think we underestimated. And that's one lesson that I try to bring to a lot of companies is really thinking holistically about the business, what the highest risks are and prioritizing those. But I see a lot of investors, particularly in this space where we're at now with G2 venture partners, where in the industrial side of a lot of businesses, this intersection of industry and innovation, and a lot of investors don't have the operational expertise. They don't have the experience. And I think it's really hard to be a good investor and not have that operational experience. You know, I make an analogy to maybe sports teams and saying, you know, often hear a a high school athlete say, oh, I can't wait to become a coach of, the, right. of an NBA team. And, you know, how could you possibly be a good coach if you were never a player? So you, you kind of have to be, you know, go through that transition if you're, you know, because at the end of the day, an investor is, I think, very analogous to a coach. You know, you have this board, you're in board meetings providing advice at a high level. It's very much analogous to a coach. But if you haven't been in the game, you haven't gone through the hardships and experienced those things by yourself, how can you give good advice to a CEO? So that's my perspective. Of course, I'm biased yeah. because I have, have some of that expertise, <laughs> but I think it is important to, to have both sides, both sets of context. And I think you see a lot of great investors that have that profile. I mean, look, living and breathing it every day right now where the investors that we really have strived to find are folks that are value adds, right? People that can really help us and guide us and, and help us maybe sometimes save months off of addressing issues by because by, they've done it three times across three different companies and said this is the best way to tackle it. So that's interesting. Yeah. Just one final yeah. note on that. I, I think finding the dollars is the easiest part, right? Finding right. the investors that are deeply committed partners that that can add value, that aren't just financiers, that's what's really hard to find. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about market, and then I want to talk about the new fund, because I think they obviously go hand in hand. And you know, I think it was interesting in your personal story, you talked about as early as 1993, writing about the electrification of the transportation industry. And you've seen now the clean tech market and the roller coaster that the clean tech market can be, you know, really evolved since the beginning of the century. But we're seeing a lot of really interesting things align now from the market perspective, from the policy perspective, from the capital perspective, whether it be talking about electric vehicles and some of the electric, cool electric things like Proterra bus and some of these things that are really going to be critical to addressing climate change and sustainability. They're actually getting implemented now, right, in, in finance. So Talk a little bit about what you've seen in the market and where you sort of see it going. Yeah, I mean, so much has changed in the last 10 to 15 years. If you look back in the, the 2000s, you know, the concept that solar could be cheaper than any other form of power generation is just that was a crazy idea with at the point that solar was at then. Same thing with batteries. It's why we didn't, why it wasn't obvious to use batteries as a primary means of energy storage because the technology was so far away from being viable. So I think the biggest thing is that you've seen these incredible technology curves evolve in the last decade. And you know, solar costs down, battery, lithium ion battery costs down. Those are two obvious ones. Same with cost of wind. But there are a number of other technology curves that are perhaps equally important. And when you combine some of these technology curves, they get really, really powerful. So things like satellite imagery, 
right. you know, the, the idea that you have a, an image of every square meter of the planet every day now from companies like Planet Labs. Yeah, it, it's amazing that that's actually here. And you can now use that data to transform the way you think about logistics and transportation and agriculture. The idea of drones, you can buy a fully autonomous machine vision capable DJI drone for 700 bucks today. Right. That power of robotics and automation and compute, that's insanely powerful. It just wasn't even close to possible 10 years ago. And there are a number of these, you know, AI, machine learning, a number of very powerful technology curves. And that's really the inspiration behind our fund is that these technology curves have opened up possibilities to create new businesses where a lot of the incumbents, maybe they weren't a part of those technology curves. They're just now reacting to the reality of those technology curves. And so they're not in a position to leverage them any better than a startup is. That's how startups can, can leverage these technologies, start to generate products in a much more capital efficient way, get to market, start to build data, build users. And there's a, a lot of flywheel effects there that can really give an advantage to a startup relative to incumbents. Transportation, I think, is one of the sectors where this is most obviously true, where you're seeing every automotive OEM scrambling to come up with a strategy to react to a few technology trends, electrification being a major one. I mean, just the amount of announcements in the last 90 days from major OEMs saying they're either going 100% electric, abandoning the internal combustion right. engine, countries saying it, India's saying it, China's saying it, California's saying it. That's amazing. And to imagine that 15 years ago was, I wouldn't have guessed it would have happened this quickly. And so it's kind of a classic S-curve adoption where it sort of happens more slowly than you think initially, and then it starts to pick up steam and it all starts to change much more quickly than you could have imagined. And so we've invested behind electrification, behind connectivity, you know, the amount of data that you can transfer and you can connect basically any device now that just wasn't possible 10 years ago. Uh, and then, of course, the concept of sharing and, uh, you know, the sharing economy, whether it's companies like Uber, where you can share a ride, or companies like Turo, where you can share a car. These are very powerful forces that are changing the way we think about building cars, the way we think about how cities will operate. So there's just so much opportunity there. I can go on and on, but I think that's it's wholly different than the early days where you had to think about inventing the technology to even enable that to happen. Right Now it's already happening. And so the question is, instead of having to build the tools, the toolkit is right in front of you. And you can grab the tools off the shelf and start to build the company, leveraging incredibly powerful tools. So that's a yeah, I mean, well, I think you hit on a really important theme that runs through your career, right? Which is impact through invention, right? So, you know, if you look back at everything from the electric bike you talked about, the reason we can get to these points is because these a variety of inventions have come together and are now allowing all these market forces to, for lack of a better term, begin to merge, right? And provide opportunity and for new companies that are really looking to move in the space recognizing that you really can't go it alone, that there's going to be a significant amount of partnering and understanding where everything else is flowing, whether it be your data or your platform or even the fuel source for whatever you're going to be doing. It's really hard to create the self-contained market transforming, especially in the energy space, you know, widget these days, but it does come together. So let me talk to you for a second about the new fund. For folks that don't know, G2 Venture Partners, I'm going to quote your philosophy here. You work together to find and build and support companies that are modernizing and revolutionizing the traditional industries that make up over half of the global economy. So you've talked a little bit about the thesis of the fund. Feel free to add a little more color to that. And you know, I want to hear a little bit about how you all are finding and identifying investments and what are some of the really interesting things that you're looking for 
Yeah. So I just think it's a it's an incredibly exciting time to be sitting here in Silicon Valley at the heart of so many exciting technology changes. But we have this unique network at G2. My three other partners and I have spent the last 10 to 20 years working in traditional industries like transportation and agriculture, energy, manufacturing, logistics. And those sectors are largely analog today. The data flows through those industries is isolated. It's not leveraged. And we see a massive opportunity applying uh, some of these emerging technologies that we see in Silicon Valley and beyond to those traditional industries. So that's the primary thesis of the fund is leveraging these technology curves that I mentioned and how they can apply to traditional industries. What we've learned through, you know, you mentioned invention, and I think invention is incredibly important. But one of the things that I've learned as an entrepreneur and certainly learned as an investor at Kleiner Perkins is that you know, the invention alone doesn't make the company. Great companies certainly have lots of inventions, but having lots of inventions doesn't make you a great company. It really comes down to the people that matter the most and you know, building great products. That's what we look for at G2 is great entrepreneurs that can see the landscape of technology and put together you know, really exciting products that sometimes touch consumers, but always have some back-end connection to traditional industries and we think have some transformative power in the way that traditional industries think about reaching their consumers. And so there's an interesting interplay there where we're not consumer investors. You know, our, our real expertise is in understanding these main players in traditional industries. We have deep networks across those sectors. And so we leverage those in the fund. We have some very exciting investors on into our fund, LPs, that we work and collaborate with to help identify opportunities, to help understand how these startups can scale and leverage those relationships in unique ways. So we find a lot of things on our own. We're very thesis-driven. So it's a little unlike, I think, other Silicon Valley firms where you kind of wait for the startups. There's, there's so many exciting companies in Silicon Valley. It's a very, I think, fervent environment where you have a lot of opportunities around you. We like to be more thesis driven. So we really think about, you know, how can a technology impact us an industry? We do deep dives where we spend months studying the sector and every player in the sector, talking to our strategic partners about how those technologies might impact their business. And that's usually where we find our investment opportunities. So Brooke, is there a sweet spot that you guys are looking to in terms of funding and sort of the target in terms of maybe of range and where a company is? Yeah, we're a little bit later than a traditional venture company. We're kind of early growth, late venture. We like to find companies that have their technology risk removed to a meaningful degree and have some degree of commercialization risk removed as well. So we want to see companies that have a product in the market. They have some product market fit identified and usually have a few million dollars of revenue and are looking for growth capital. That's our sweet spot. Excellent. So I'm going to transition here for a second. You talked earlier on about operations and the importance of you know sort of seeing the whole field when you're launching a company. And part of that is understanding the policy landscape, understanding how to engage in the policy landscape. I think you've had the opportunity to work with some real titans in the space, both John Doerr and Al Gore. These are leaders who've personified the motto of sort of leading by example on issues they care about. What have you learned from that experience? And you know, what lessons do you share with CEOs having sort of seen all of that firsthand? Yeah, look, I'm so fortunate to get to work with John and Al so closely. I never could have imagined that. And I've certainly learned so much from them. At the end of the day, they think very holistically about issues. They think about the business aspects, technology aspects, policy. And I think that's what makes them both 
so special and so unique. I think they recognize that any one of those aspects doesn't bring change alone. You really have to push simultaneously on all fronts. And you know, they also don't think anything is out of reach. I mean, they really think big in terms of the level of impact that they can help influence. And they're also very thoughtful about how they use that power. I think the truth is that every company will have to deal with policy and regulation at some point, especially in fields like energy, transportation, and agriculture. And if you don't have some core competency in your company, you're likely to get blindsided by it at some point. So it's best to get ahead of it. But you know, I think today in so many companies in Silicon Valley, particularly with millennials, they're looking for meaning. They're looking for impact in the work that they do. They're not just looking for a role or a salary. And so I think the only way to get the best talent is to have a company that has some deeper mission. Right. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that both John and Al have been so successful in their own investing and business careers, in addition to, of course, Al's enormous success politically, but is that they look for those types of companies. And it turns out that those are the companies that deliver the best returns. What Al has done at Generation is remarkable. They've outperformed nearly every other fund in the world by being very thoughtful and critical about the values in the companies that they invest in. And that's firmly what we believe too at G2. We think the best opportunities today, the companies that have the best people and have the best products are going to be those that are moving the needle meaningfully. And we see such an opportunity across the sectors that we invest in that we think there's lots of opportunity and lots of interest from great entrepreneurs in building and revolutionizing those industries. So that's one way we've leveraged those lessons. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to end with a final question that I ask sort of all the folks we talk to here at Experts Only. And, you know, if you could look back and you've had a, an incredible career, there's so much more coming. But, you know, if you could sit down with yourself coming out of high school or even coming out of college, having written a paper on the electrification of transportation, but what advice could you give yourself, you know, to make sure that you, you know, end up on the path that you're on today? I thought a little bit about this and you know, I didn't come from a very traditional family. I didn't have much exposure to business or investing growing up. I certainly didn't have any any network to leverage. So, you know, everything I've done, I've kind of learned from scratch. I've kind of thought about every problem or challenge I faced from first principles, or at least I've tried to. Right. But I was never really very confident in my own abilities. It was sort of like I have no idea what to do here. Going into energy was so daunting. I remember thinking this is so complex. How could I ever learn how all of this works? And the reality is that like every great journey, every great adventure, I like to climb mountains. And I think about that and you look at a giant mountain, you think, how could I ever get up that thing? Well, it's, it's really just about putting one step in front of the other. And so if I could tell myself one thing, I'd say, just follow your heart and believe in yourself and take one step at a time, because that's how you get there. You just got to keep moving and have some faith in yourself. I probably could have used a little more of that in the early days. Well, you know, first of all, thank you so much. This is great advice. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we obviously all wish G2 the best of luck because we need that type of holistic thinking and driving the companies forward that you guys are really looking at. And I think we will look forward to following up with you in the future as things are progressing and really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much, John. This was really fun. What a great conversation. Brooke really provided some amazing insights and we look forward to sharing those and others with you here at Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast. Please visit us at cleancapital.com. And I'd like to thank our producers, Emily Connor and Lauren Glickman, for their fantastic work. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. I ask you to help share this podcast. And if you 
have any ideas or thoughts for other episodes, please feel free to reach out through our website and let us know. Thanks so much and look forward to continuing the conversation.